let's hope it's profound and thought-provoking because I've only just finished my coffee and I need more time for it to settle. Um, I just want to acknowledge Ames and her listening to God throughout the week in that song selection because I feel like she has been sitting in my head and in my laptop for the last couple of weeks. So, amazing Ames. Um, Let's just pray really quickly because I do feel like there's something on this message this morning that's... Let's put it... I was nearly crying through most of worship. Um, Again, bad combination when I haven't had the coffee yet. Um, But there's something here today um, for people to really tangibly tap into that love of God. So let's pray so I don't screw this up. God, we thank you for your amazing love, that you are sovereign, that you are king, that you are high above every circumstance in every life. We dedicate this morning to you, Lord God, and I pray that in each of our hearts you would prepare the soil for us to receive the word and the seed for today, Lord God. I pray that for each of us, we would walk away from here with a fresh revelation, with a fresh insight, with just something new to cling on to of you today, Lord God, and that something would be different in us because of your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in communion a few weeks ago, I guess I was speaking a little bit about how important it is that we take the cross from our Sunday and we actually then be the love that we've received the rest of the time as well. And God's kind of had me on this track of love um, for several months now. And today I really wanted to speak about how we love other people, like how we really genuinely love other people. But then that wasn't the message I got. Because for us to love other people, First, we have to know what it is to be loved by God. So that's where we're going to start. Um, love's not just a feeling. We see lots of love in the songs and in the movies and everywhere. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. And God's love was not and is not just a feeling. His love is the kind of love that will transform us and transform our communities. But if it's not just going to be an emotion and a feeling, it has to be something deliberate, something that carries substance to it. And so today I'm going to share some thoughts on the deliberate act of love. So I'm going to start off from reading a little bit from 1 John 4, 7 to 19. It's from the message version. And there's only bits and pieces that I really wanted. So these bits of verses are all in that section. Can't tell you which exact ones they are, though. So the key thoughts from it. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us, perfect love. There is no room in love for fear, 
well-formed fear banishes, sorry, well-formed love banishes fear. That was the one part I was really worried I'd screw up on. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. God's love for us is revealed in his deliberate acts. We can sing the songs and get that feeling and that emotion, but there's so much more weight to it than that. And God's revealed it through what he has done, not just what he's said. So Isaiah 53 tells us of the cross. So again, just parts of it. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all of our sins and everything we've done wrong on him. Romans 8 verses 1 to 3-ish says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Just in case you're wondering, the message translation. The death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection was not an accident. It's the evidence of God's deliberate love for each of us and for every person. It's his action plan to restore each of us to his original purpose for us and relationship with him. So first, we are loved and he's shown us. He's done it. He's been deliberate. It's all laid out there for us. But deliberate love goes both ways. So God has deliberately loved us but then we need to be deliberate in our response to that. If we know of God's love for us, but we don't deliberately receive that, we're not gonna walk in the power of it and the freedom of it. So I'm talking about more than believing in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. That's salvation. And for many of us, one of the most significant points in our life, but it's not the beginning or the end of God's love. To receive 
this great love of God and really deliberately receive it, there's a journey that we go on. We encounter it, often without actually knowing that's what it is that we're experiencing. We learn about it. We make a choice to believe it. We get a revelation of it and we live out the experience of it. And because life doesn't just do this, we'll kind of get to this point and then down here and then over here and then up there and then we just kind of hopefully steadily keep moving up in that revelation and experience. When I first became Christian, I didn't know about the cross. But I knew that I felt loved by the people that I met and that that love was something I was missing. The people that I met at youth group the first time that I went, as a very, 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 very broken 16-year-old, they didn't know me, the people there, but they were deliberate in their love for me. And because of that, something in me softened. And so then when the gospel was preached that night, I could receive it and I could go, hey, maybe there's something in this for me. Maybe it could be real. And then from that point, I've continued on the journey. And I've continued to get the revelation of God's love and to learn what it is to walk it out. And then find new areas of brokenness that I thought I dealt with but hadn't really. And then get God's love for that situation and that circumstance. And then live that out. And then go back again. Because who knows our lives are like a rabbit hole and you just get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the dark places where God brings his light and brings healing. But he starts off up here when you start out and you're kind of ready for that level because if he took you down to here straight away, I'd be out, man. So it's not enough for God to deliberately love me. I have to deliberately receive that love to access the power. As I deliberately choose to receive his love, that's when I find freedom and that's when I'm transformed. So a lot of the time when I'm up here, I make jokes about shoes because I collect lots of shoes. Today I'm not going to make a joke about shoes. I'm going to talk about tattoos because I also collect tattoos. <laughs> thought I'd mix it up a little bit. So think about it this way. Life's experiences can become tattoos on our body, on our mind and on our spirit. Some tell of adventure, some tell of pain. Some tell of our values and what matter to us and what we love and they're beautiful. Some are ugly and they tell of pain and misery and regret. Life marks us in visible ways. Mr. Page. Nope. Now I'm all mixed up. Sorry. Here we go. I changed it from a paragraph to single sentences. That's why I'm getting all confused. Sorry for wrecking the moment. So life marks us <laughs> in visible ways. If I want to see those tattoos covered up or transformed, I go through a process. I have to recognise them for what they are and what they symbolise. I have to be willing to go through change. I have to connect with a talented designer and artist. I have to communicate with the designer 
and trust them to turn that ugliness into something that's strong and beautiful, an expression of who I am now, not who I was when I got it. I have to be willing to go through the pain of that transformation. Because covering a tattoo is not just drawing over the old one with texture or permanent marker. It involves injecting new colour into the old, going beneath the surface to bring lasting change. We go through that same process when we deliberately receive God's love. We sing here a song that has the lyric in it, turning wilderness to wonder. And from the first time I heard that song, it's brought me to tears every time I hear that phrase because I look back at my life and the brokenness that I've experienced. And, you know, there's lots of people here who don't know my story, but eight years old, threatening suicide, 14 years old, threatening suicide, 16 years old, attempting suicide, lots of witchcraft, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, all of that in the middle, 16 years old, become Christian, start on a different trajectory. That's my life in a nutshell. But my life has been a testimony of God's power turning a wilderness to wonder. And when you think about the word turning, it can have lots of different meanings. So it can be a change of direction. Can be difficult, but probably the easiest of the options. It can be a transformation that takes one thing and turns it into something totally different. Or it can be the process by which we kind of stay in the same place, but an external force works on us like a potter moulding the clay on the turning wheel. Deliberately receiving God's deliberate love turns our wilderness to wonder. It's the power that transforms us and we find a greater freedom from the tattoos of our past. So I've had lots of key moments where God's love has radically encountered me and brought that change. You know, speaking after light is fitting, I think, for this because many of my moments have happened at conferences or at key times like that where I'm just being immersed in God's presence. Each one of those moments have led to a greater acceptance and receipt of God's love. And then the progression through that and walking out that new revelation has taken my wilderness and my dry and barren and dark places and slowly turned them into something wonderful where I found hope and strength to be sustained into the new things. But as I said, it's a never-ending journey. There's always more. God continues to deliberately love me in every single moment of every single day. But I also have to continually position myself to be deliberately loved and to receive that. It's not a one-time transaction. And society has a really, really warped view of what it is to be loved and to love other people. So we can't set our standards for God's love by the world's standards. We have to know what it is to be loved by God. So, my top three tips for how I have deliberately received God's love in my life. Words. Being loved is really hard. Many of us have experienced rejection and pain and to open yourself up and believe you can be loved is hard. Our tattoos 
can make us think and feel that we are unlovely and unlovable. It doesn't matter how far are we on on this journey with God. Even, I think it was last year, I was spending time with God. And, you know, I've been a Christian for nearly 20 years. 20 years, what's today's date? 1st of October. 20 years this week. Happy birthday. Um, And even last year, I was in worship and I was crying and God spoke to me and said, you still believe you're unlovely. 20 years and I'm still getting slapped up the head because I'm not receiving his love and not getting that revelation of it. It takes time and we keep going on the journey. But to come back to words. We hear all the time about the power of our words. Our words over ourselves, our words over other people, God's words for us. I read a quote from Lisa Bevere recently. I can't afford to have a thought in my head that is not in God's head about me. I'll say that again. I can't afford to have a thought in my head that is not in God's head about me. That's how I ended up that suicidal little girl because none of my thoughts lined up with God's thoughts about me. It is so true that our thinking needs to line up with God's thinking about us. The first battle over if and how much we're going to receive God's love is in here. It's in our mind, it's in our words, it's in our thoughts. So 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought, no matter how small they seem, because small thoughts become big thoughts, an emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. The more my inner dialogue imitates God's inner dialogue about me, the easier it's going to be for me to receive his love. For me, the first sign of distance from God is that my inner dialogue goes back to that broken little girl. To be loved, we have to believe we are worthy of that love. And that revelation comes from God. It's through his spirit, through his word, and deliberately focusing on his words about us. We have to examine his word. We have to find scriptures that speak to our heart and our spirit about us, that make us feel like come alive and just go, oh, there's something in that for me. We need to find those scriptures and we need to cling to them and we need to tell them to ourselves hundreds of times a day because it takes a really long time to change a thought pattern. So we need to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them until they become our default. And then we need to keep repeating them because we get distracted and we go back to the old ways of thinking. So then we need to pull out those verses and keep going and keep repeating pretty much forever. We need to know God's thoughts about us, about you personally, and continuously practice thinking them over yourself. Sounds really corny saying them out loud. Amazing power. In A Good Good Father this morning, one of the songs we sang, says, I'm loved by you. It's who I am. That's the bit where I was kind of crying. Is that who we are? 
I am loved by you, it's who I am. Is that who you are? I'm going to leave that one with you. So my second tip, shelter. God tells us time and time again that his love holds us and won't let us go. Psalm 136 tells us that God's love never quits. It never fails. It's every second line in that psalm. I think God's getting a message through. Romans 8.39 tells us absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Nice words. But do we deliberately position ourselves in the protection and shelter that that love brings? Do we seek him when we feel shame and hurt, when we've done the wrong thing? Or do we run the other way and ignore him and separate ourselves from the people in our community of faith? God is all about reducing the distance between us and him. Stole that one from Pastor Mark, who stole it from Pastor Dave Izzard. Still good, still true. When we are far away, are we going to take that step back towards him? Because he's still right there. It's us who move or us who turn away. It just takes one step to come back and to ask his love to cover us again. Will we come back to the cross remembering that his love is deliberate, that it's already happened, it's already there, that we can't lose it, and reminding ourselves of what he thinks about us. Being covered, protected, and restored by his love happens through positioning, and positioning happens through relationship. Time spent with God in prayer, worship, in silence. I know for me, my most profound times where I've come back into the shelter of God's love has been when I've shut up and I've stopped. And I've, I don't shut up often. <laughs> but I've stopped and I've waited. And then because I've finally stopped striving for it, his love has come and refreshed and renewed and restored and healed. My third point, vulnerability. Scary word. To open up ourselves to be loved is really scary, especially when we've carried that rejection or those pain, those tattoos of the past that have affected how people have loved us and what's happened in our past relationships. But as one of those verses I read before from 1 John 4 says, there's no room in love for fear. And perfect love casts out fear. It's really hard and really scary to be vulnerable, to examine, to look deep, to travel down the rabbit hole again. It's hard to shine a light into those dark places and the yucky places, the places that we don't want to acknowledge to anyone, even ourselves, that they exist. And to let his love restore us. I still have many of those places where I don't like to visit, but I've learned over time that it's worth it to be obedient and go there, and that when God tells me it's time, I'm actually strong enough to do it. It hurts to look there, 
hurts even more to examine it and to analyse it, and I tend to overanalyse, but that's okay. Every dark spot in our past, in our pain, in our hearts, in our souls, is another barrier to receiving God's love. So to receive his love more, we need to deliberately go to those places, bring his love there with us, and let him minister. We have to trust in his promise that his perfect love will banish that fear and that we will come into greater freedom. There's a song by Hillsong called The Greatest of These that says there's no fear in love, but there is a cross. I'm going to leave that one there. God's already deliberately loved us. Nothing we do changes that. But we have to deliberately let him in to love us, to receive that power and that transformation and become new. So as we examine our words, we look at where we're positioned and where we're getting our shelter from, and we look at that vulnerability and go into those places. We're deliberately receiving his love and applying it to our lives so that that love can transform us and turn our wilderness to wonder, can cover up those tattoos with something beautiful. As a side note, one of the most damaging things I've ever come across in life is people who say they love and they don't. Let's not be those people. Because to love others in a way that transforms and brings life, we have to have received that love ourselves. So to give the love, we have to have the love. Fairly straightforward. So God's deliberately loved us. We're going to deliberately receive that love. Then we can go to our community and deliberately love them in a way that will bring change. So my top three tips on how we're deliberately receiving God's love are also for how we deliberately love other people. So words. Are we speaking life over our community and over other people? Are we speaking to and about other people what God says about them? If I can't afford to have a thought in my head that doesn't line up with what's in God's head about me, what right have I got to think that about someone else? Shelter. Do our relationships extend grace, peace and love over people and draw them into a safe place where fear's voice is dampened? Are we their safe harbour? Are we actually seeking to reduce the distance between them and God? And are we loving them in a way that can make that happen? And vulnerability. Do we go to the dark places with people or do we just have coffee? Do we sit with them in their pain and shine a light in that place that makes it more bearable for them? So as I said before, it wasn't knowledge of the cross that brought me to God. It was the love that was shown to me by random people I'd just met in some of the darkest moments of my life. It was the people who knew what it was to be loved by God and to love other people. I felt their love before I found his love. And I want to be that person for someone else. 
I want to love people into finding and deliberately receiving God's love for themselves and the freedom and the transformation that comes from that. And as we're deliberately loved and as we deliberately love, we're participating in a different kind of warfare for our community. Love, real deliberate love, is the warfare of the mothers and the fathers. Not the biological mothers and the fathers, the spiritual mothers and the fathers rising up who are desperately needed across all the generations. And as the mothers and the fathers rise in love, we're fighting for the generations now and the generations we're never gonna meet, but who because of the way we've loved someone now, that revelation of Christ flows through the generations. So in summary, you are loved first, deliberately, by God. So be loved deliberately by God and then love others deliberately for God. I told you she was profound and thought-provoking. I couldn't take notes fast enough, Lise. Lucky it's recorded. If anyone needs the recording, it's on SoundCloud. That was just so profound and powerful, Lisa. And I think really you summed up what happened this week with the one generation loving another and setting them free. And let's stand. I think um, that first point that Lisa made is maybe something that God just wants to... Oh, she's coming back. Oh, no, water. Um, it's just something that God wants to minister into a bit more deeply this morning and if you feel like maybe God was just maybe showing you something, an area in your heart or life where he's going deeper and you'd like to let him into that, I just encourage you if you want to come out for prayer, I think Lisa would love to pray for you and I know for me sometimes there's areas and things, hurts where I feel like I've dealt with them. I'm like, yeah, that's I'm all good and then, you know, we move on with life and we're busy and so as Lisa said, we don't take time to actually just self-reflect and see what we're actually feeling. And then someone will say something or a situation will come up that will remind me of that hurt and then I'll cry and I'll be like, oh, I haven't actually fully dealt with that thing that I thought I had fully dealt with. So maybe this morning as we're just quiet and allowing God to speak, there's things that God's saying, hey, you know, I want to go a bit deeper into that situation or into that area. And as Lisa said, may we just quiet, quieten our hearts and our spirits enough to actually allow God to speak. So if that is you this morning, and, and you can, God can go deeper in your seat, but if you would like someone to pray with you, please come out the front and we're, um, we're going to worship. Thanks, team.